Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Julie Northway, who during her near-death experience saw her grandmother on the other side and today we're going to talk about it and more. Julie, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you. Julie, let's start with the day that you had your NDE and go from there. Sure. Um, so it was actually Friday the 13th uh, in wow. 2007 in April, um, which it, the anniversary was this week. Um, and uh, I had uh, MRSA. Uh, in my uterus, um, and I went into septic shock. Uh, I uh, went into the ER, um, and they had to bring me in um, for emergency surgery. Um, my I was pregnant uh, and about 21 weeks pregnant, and um, uh, when... They brought me into the ER. Um, I later learned that I had uh, died. I don't know for how long, but I had, my heart had stopped and um, I was flatlined. Um, when that happened, um, uh, the first, or I guess the first thing I remember happening related to, I guess, my death, but I'm not a thousand percent sure is I remember being in the ER um, and I remember uh, screaming because I was in pain, but I know I couldn't have been screaming because um, the MRSA was in my lungs and my spine. I couldn't breathe on my own. So I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't scream. I couldn't make noise. So the first thing that seemed off was the fact that I thought I was making a noise and screaming and telling the doctors to stop. Um, and the next thing I remember is seeing me looking at myself being lifted from one table to like another table, like maybe the transport table to the operating table sort of a thing. And, um, that's kind of when the whole NDE part of my experience started. Um, and that's when, uh, I stopped really feeling the pain because I, what was happening to me was quite painful. Um, uh, so I don't remember seeing a light or anything like that. I just, I remember seeing my body being moved to the operating table 
blacking out. And when I came to, I was in a room um, and it was uh, a room that had, um, it was, it's sort of like a round table, but if you looked into the table, it was kind of like a well of light. So I, you, you looked down and it sort of was never ending and it, there was sort of light radiating out of this well. And standing around the table was two women. Um, one was my grandmother. I know for sure, because I knew my grandmother when she was alive. And the other was a broad-shouldered woman who I don't know who she was, but I got the vibe that she was like a grandmother type. Um, and she she kind of felt like a, a Rosie the Riveter type or very strong <laughs> kind of person. And she was actually holding my daughter um, who during the operation also passed away. And she, she didn't come back, she passed away. But uh, she was holding her in um, a blanket and the blanket was um, like a sort of 1980s fleece blanket. I can't really describe them, but they were pretty popular in the 80s on grandmother's beds. And uh, it was nothing fancy, but it was something that was really comforting to me because I remember going to my grandparents' house and staying the night and having like that blanket. So it was sort of like, to me, it was representing that the grandparents are going to take care of my daughter. Um, so she was holding my daughter. I was not really at peace yet, um, mostly because I was panicked because I wanted my daughter. And I think the instinct as a mother was overtaking any spiritual type of connection. Like the, the animalistic instinct was super strong and I just wanted to protect my daughter. And the confusion of not having her was overwhelming. Um, so basically we sat together in this room with this well, we didn't go anywhere. The communication was all um, mental, like there was no words spoken. It was just, a lot of the communication was just love. Like it was, they didn't really, like the words don't worry didn't come over, but it was just like being surrounded by their love, kind of trying to calm me down, trying to make me know that this was okay, make me know that my daughter was going to be cared for, make me know that I can go back, right? Um, and none of that was okay with me because I just wanted my daughter. Um, but I mean, it did feel good to be in like sort of this radiated love waves. Um most of the conversation was surrounding my daughter and motherhood and again conversation more again just like mental connection um we didn't i didn't ask too many questions about you know the meaning of the universe or anything like that because i was so focused on my baby 
Um, but you know, it, it, as it, when we were sitting there, it sort of felt like forever. Time didn't really have any meaning. Um, it was it sort of felt like a lifetime, and my connection to that time is really one of the only connections I have with my daughter. So I really look at it like I got to spend a lifetime with her there, sitting with her, sitting with my grandmother, and just being with her. And that's that's comforting now. Like in my life now, I know that I had that with her um, because I didn't, I, I, I never got to hold her after my operation, I went into a coma. So it wasn't like the situation where you get to hold the baby afterwards and things like that. It was, um, I was in the ICU unconscious. So, um, it was that that's my only memory of her. So that's really important to me. Um, after being there, for again like what felt like lifetimes but also way too fast right like <laughs> it was both slow and fast because it just time didn't mean anything um a man came into the room with the well and he was wearing a long trench coat um I couldn't really see his face he wasn't threatening or anything like that he just wasn't like where the two women were very human feeling this didn't feel like that um he might have been an ancestor but he was very not like the other two um and he basically made me leave and i didn't want to leave because i wanted to stay with my daughter and again it wasn't threatening it wasn't scary but it was listen this this is what we got to do now um, and it was like a pull. It, it felt like a force, like he didn't grab me or anything, but it was like, I was, I was, I felt like a force pulling me out of that room. And, um, he took me, I sort of, again, I sort of blacked out. I don't know how I got there, but he took me to, um, this place that wasn't in the room. and. There was, it's hard to explain. There's like, it was like a fields of structures of, they weren't buildings, but they were like structures of almost like illuminating Legos type of a thing. And when you looked at them, you sort of saw connections that you made in life. So again, and time was sort of meaningless. So this, this took, it was like, I was with him for lifetimes. I was with him forever. We were going through, I saw every person I ever connected with. I saw um, family members. I saw a homeless person that I might not have given change to in the street. I saw um, uh, people I was kind to, people I was nasty to, people that meant a lot to me, people who I meant a lot to and I didn't realize it. 
um, just people I graduated with in high school, people I met in grade school, um, a babysitter I had when I was, you know, three years old, just different people in my life. And each of those people were sort of represented by these um, structures of blocks, glowing blocks. And the um, the better the connection, the closer the person or the better effect I had on them, or we mutually had on each other, the stronger the structure looked and the more beautiful and the more radiant. And the worse the connection, so like the person I wouldn't give change to in the street, the worse the structure to the point where it was like void of light and crumbling and weak. And it sort of, it gave me this sensation and it's something that I still think about today, like when I talk to people and when I treat people certain ways, it's like, you want to live your life to build this beautiful structure that connects spirits, living or dead, right? And um, you want these things not to be void of light and broken and falling apart. And you want as many of them as possible to be built up and beautiful and luminous. And um, I don't know if all that makes sense, but um, but uh, that was, that was, again, it took, it felt like a very, very long time because it was, we went through so many different connections and so many different people. And um, yeah, and again, it wasn't scary. It wasn't threatening. It was very, there was still like that radiation of love. And this person with the trench coats, even though he didn't look quite human, and I think if I saw him in a movie or something, he might be a little creepy, but it wasn't like that. It was very, like, it was still that love radiation. Um, so after we explored these structures, looked at all these connections that I had made in my life, uh, we finally came to a huge tree and the tree was like, you could see the movement in the tree. Like it was growing and wrapping around itself. It was, I don't know. It was like, if you were looking at a tree on like a fast camera or something. Um, and the top of the tree, the branches were breaking and the branches would fall to the bottom of the tree and the roots would sort of like engulf the branches and then the roots would go back up into the tree. So you sort of saw this like circular motion of this tree growing and breaking and dying and then going back down and, you know, growing more and the branches becoming the roots and then come becoming the branches again. And it was just this sort of cyclical thing. And he stood back and he let me walk towards the tree and I walked towards the tree and I reached out to touch it. And then um, I was in the hospital room and gasping for air. <laughs> and um, the doctor was telling me that they almost lost me and that I had been out for a while. And um, yeah. And, and then I panicked and that was kind of scary. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that, I mean, that in a nutshell is uh, what I experienced. Julie, thank you for sharing your experience with us. When you first arrived in the room, did you realize at that point that you were dead? Yeah, I definitely did. I, I think, again, my concern was my daughter. I was worried she was dead. 
um, and I didn't want her to be dead. And um, but yeah, I definitely realized. I think I think because I saw my grandma and because I I know my grandma was dead, that's what tipped me off. If she hadn't been there, maybe it would have been more of a where am I, what's happening? But because she was there, I knew what was happening. When you saw your daughter, did she appear as an infant? Yes. So um small enough to be held, but sort of like the man that didn't have a face she didn't really have defined features like she was sort of light like she was radiating um but she definitely looked like the size of an infant and was being held have you ever pondered over the years why that place was so structural you know it was a room with this well and an, and it wasn't like a mystical cloud-like place like you would think heaven would be like well i don't know um so i was i was brought up atheist um so i didn't have a lot of free disposition is that the right word of understanding of what i should expect mm -hmm. um so that is what i experienced um it, it was more like outer space than it was clouds so it was celestial um mm. but not in the sense of like a a cloudy world it was um like if you looked up you saw the galaxy if it was like sort of like an open room so it was a room but it was like it was also open so sort of like something with no ceiling. <laughs> Would you think that the walls, or do you remember what color the walls were? Yeah, they, it was like a cave. It was almost like stone, and they reflected the light from the well, which was like this otherworldly, I call it blue, but it wasn't blue, light. Um, and it also reflected the light from sort of the universe above. Like if you see those enhanced pictures of galaxies with like the magentas and the blues and the different colors so the light from above where the galaxy was and the light from the well so that that blue color light was bouncing off sort of like these almost metallic stone walls like if you think like a cave so it was stony but sort of rainbowy i was imagining the room to be like white walls and more sterile but it sounds yeah. like it was more celestial like yeah, it was very, it felt um, organic, sort of, if that makes sense. Like something, something of the, of the universe, of the real, not man-made. Was there a door anywhere? No, not that I saw. The only opening, well, I guess there was two openings. There was the well, which sort of went down forever, and the, the sky, which went up forever. And the sky, again, was stars and galaxies and um, and it was all moving, like it wasn't still. It wasn't like when you look up at the stars and everything's still. It was like you look up and everything, and I guess the sky isn't still, right? Stars move and everything, but you could see everything moving, sort of like the tree. Like it was, um, it was like you could see the path of the stars. When you were looking at the structures and you would remember, you know, different people and how those people reflected in the strength of the structure, would you consider that to be like a life review? Definitely. Um, and uh, I, I've always heard people say, like, when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. 
And it was like that, except it wasn't the things that I did. Like it wasn't the trips that I took. It wasn't the dinners that I ate or anything like that. It was just connections. So the life review that I had was only the connections that I made in life. Do you think there was any significance to the tree besides bringing you back? And if so, what is it? Well, I think it was um, like the idea of all humans sort of being a family and we all grow, we all live, we all die, and then we get brought back into life somehow. Um, and I, and again, I don't, I don't fully understand how, like, I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's like necessarily reincarnation. I, we're just all part of the same piece of life, even if we're not in the physical world. So the, I'd, I'd say closer to the top was more of the physical world and the roots was more of like the spiritual world. And it was sort of like this cycle, like you move in and out of the physical and the spiritual world. Did the being give you any indication why you needed to come back? For example, like you haven't finished your mission yet? He didn't. Um, I I know now, I because that, that was my first pregnancy um, and I've had two other children. And if I hadn't come back, I wouldn't have had those children. And they're important and they're going to make connections and they have made connections and they've connected with me and um, their lives mean something. And if I hadn't come back, they wouldn't be here. And I'm a thousand percent certain that's why I needed to be here. Um, but at the time, I don't think he would have even tried because I so didn't want to be separated from my daughter. Um, if someone had said, you need to go back because you have two more children that you're going to love it wouldn't have mattered at that time because you were taking me away from my daughter. So um, even if he had told me, I don't think I would have listened. So you were an atheist when this happened. Where are you now on your spiritual beliefs? So um, I'm sort of still an atheist. I think I'm a complicated atheist. Um, I think I'm an atheist that other atheists don't like very much. So um, I, I still have never... When I think of the word atheist, I just think of someone who doesn't believe that there is a God. And I've still never technically seen any evidence of an actual God. I do, however, think that there is things in life and afterlife and the universe that we don't understand. Of course, we can't. Like, there's too many things to know for us to have. We haven't been in existence long enough to know. And whether... How those are explained, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely believe in an afterlife. I don't necessarily know if that afterlife is created or controlled by a god, if that makes sense. Um, uh, and it could be, but I don't have, I didn't experience anything that, that made me believe that. Um, and, and again, Maybe if I had the background to believe it, maybe I would be more open to it, but I just don't have, I just, I never had that background. And um, I think like a lot of atheists, I am, I don't claim to have all the answers and 
I am constantly willing to change my mind about anything. If I see something and experience something that changes my mind. But um, as of right now, I I believe that there's things that we call spirituality and it may or may not be actual supernatural. It may be things that could be described naturally. I don't know. Uh, But um, yeah, (laughs) that's where I am. So after that NDE, did you notice that you had any new abilities that you didn't have prior? Um, so I don't know if I'd call it an ability, but I do have dreams of people that have passed. So I have these, um, very realistic, I guess, lucid dreams. Uh, if they're dreams, I don't know if they're dreams. And I see people that, um, I've lost and it's always sort of the same setting. It's uh, sitting in rocking chairs next to each other, chatting. And so, and it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, sometimes it's people in my family. Sometimes it's people in a friend's family. Sometimes it's people in my husband's family. And it's usually very mundane conversations. Like it's nothing um, mind-blowing or spiritual. It's just them wanting to talk. Um, and the other thing that again dreams is since all of that happened maybe twice a year I have this dream where um sort of like a spiritual type being um comes to me and asks me to explain generational time Mm -hmm. so they come and they they show me a picture of my grandmother. They show me a picture of my mother and they show me a picture of me and they ask me why we're not the same person. And I have to explain to them that somebody lives somebody through time and has stages and then dies and then their blood moves on through another person and then they die and their blood moves on through another person and they die. And um, yeah, it's again, it's very it's not like a regular dream. It's very realistic. It's, um, it's got that blue light in it and it happens about twice a year and it's this creature and, um, it doesn't feel human and I have to sort of explain to it how that works. Speaking of real, do you feel that the experience that you had is just as real as you and I here? It's almost more real. Um, It was when I was there, it was like I was waking up from a dream. So it was like this, this that I'm doing right now is the dream. And that was being awake. And, um, and that's always sort of in the back of my mind. Like I always sort of feel like I'm in a dream state now. Um, And that, yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's, it felt very real. I know you don't believe that someone's in charge of everything, but then this guide or whoever it was told you to come back. So it makes me think somebody's in charge of something. Yeah. I, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I mean, somebody 
I think knew I was having children in the future. But once you remove the element of time, that isn't a huge flex. Like if if there is no time, then knowing the future isn't difficult, um, if that makes sense. So yeah, at least that's because I've thought of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's sort of like where I where I land when I think about it, like, how did this guy know that I needed to be back? Why did he tell me I needed to be back? And ultimately, like, the the whole absence of timelines and beginning, middle, end not existing makes it a lot easier for me anyway to sort of grasp the idea that a creature, whoever it is, doesn't need somebody else telling them you know she needs to go back um because that that creature sees that i need to go back because they are experiencing my future children right now do you feel like where you were is like this bubble outside of time and possibly you could leave the bubble and go anywhere in time that you wanted to yeah i feel like i feel like we're there now i i think i think it's just the physical ability like something about the physicality of our existence prevents us from doing that um but i i don't think i don't know i mean i guess that's a hugely complicated question that probably astrophysicists are trying to figure out but um i feel like um yeah that the the concept of time is um not very sturdy whether you're talking spiritually or physically i think it's something that we don't as a species understand. I think it's something that we're still trying to grasp with. And it's something that we assign symbols to like clocks and weeks and months and days, but we don't really understand what it is. I had a conversation with a guy recently and we were talking about the different halves of your brain. The left half of your brain is more analytical and the right half, I guess you could say is more spiritual. But he was saying that the right half of your brain is always there on the other side. And yeah. you just kind of mentioned that in a different way of saying that. Yeah, def- I think, yeah, I think we're, I don't think we're ever not over there. I think we're just limited in our ability to see it, right? So um, just just like time, I think, and I think that's why we feel connected to the people that have passed. Um, I, that's another thing that having this experience has helped me with since, since I lost my daughter, since I had that experience, I've lost other people. I mean, obviously. Right. Um, And I've been able to deal with their deaths a lot easier. And again, like I told you before, I definitely miss them and missing them and being near them and, you know, going over to somebody's house and things like that still hurts, but I really do feel like they're with me and not in a cliche kind of, oh, they'll always be in your heart type of way. But I literally feel like we're close, like we're together. And um, I, I don't I don't think we're as separated from that other world as we think we are most of the time. Do you think it's possible that our world is a certain radio station frequency, like 98.2, and then the other world is 96.4? And 
we're all right here. It's just tuning the dial to a different frequency. Yeah, maybe. I mean, um, I think if I understood radio better, maybe mm -hmm. I would be able to speak to that. But yeah, I bet I think. And I, I don't know on the other side if they're more able to tune into that. Um, like on their side, did they miss us or do they feel like they're right there next to us all the time? I don't know. Um, but uh, I definitely feel like in this physical world, we don't see where we are all the time. We don't see that, you know, when somebody passes, we're actually still standing right there next to them. Before we started recording, you mentioned that you had a second NDE. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah. So that was a lot shorter. That was um, in 2009. And again, it was connected to pregnancy. I was pregnant with my son, who's now 13. Um, and I had a C-section. And um, the spinal that they gave me, so the, the drugs they gave me to make me numb from the waist down, um, I had a reaction to it and my heart stopped. Mm. And I don't know, again, how long because I kind of blocked that stuff out. I think they do tell me, but it's like, you don't kind of really want to know. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I was, it was very, that one felt very fast. Time was connected to this one, uh, but I, I sort of zapped out of my body. It was very quick. I was looking at the room and I was looking at the panic of the doctors and the medical staff in the room. Um, and I got this sort of peaceful feeling watching the chaos. Um, and I have described it as like Russian dancing bears. Like it felt like a circus, like, but in a positive way. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't go to the other side. I was just in the room, sort of like the very beginning of my first and and near-death experience. And, um, but, and I was just watching and then one of the doctors climbed on top of me and started doing chest compressions. And then I was back in my body and I woke up with the doctor on top of me. Um, and yeah, I mean, once I came to, I was, I was good. Like I actually felt really, really good. Um, like uh, it wasn't like the other time and it all happened very fast. And uh, my son ended up being okay. And I had the C-section and everything was good. So that's interesting because it was verifiable for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. I, I think what I was experiencing sort of out of body connected to my in body where the other one I was in a coma after. So there was like a, a bit of a disconnection. This one, it was immediate. After you had your second NDE, did that add any clarification to your first one? No, the second one was so quick. Um, I kind of, I felt a little jilted, if that makes sense. Like I wanted to go back and experience things again. And if if you're gonna die, you might as you might as well have a great experience. I mean, the bears were great, but um, um, I I did feel a little jilted. The the only really positive thing out of that one is is um, and, and I, this could have just been the nature of having a baby, but I felt so connected to my son because I my heart stopped. I was dying, and his heart sort of kept going, and he made it through and was really s strong and. I just, I feel so.
so much admiration for him as like a human to a human. And I feel really connected to him that we sort of went through that together, even though he has no memory of it. But um, that that's the best thing that came out of that one. Is there anything within your NDEs that you find inspiring? At the time, it was not. Because at the time, I just wanted to be there. And I think, like, obviously, I went to counseling and stuff after this. And one of the things that I used to say is, I'm not suicidal, but I just want to be dead. And it was because I wanted to be back there. I wanted to be back in like that love and I wanted to be with my daughter. And um, I think the most inspiring thing is just sort of the freedom of not being afraid of death. And it makes you sort of put your life into perspective, as I think a lot of things do, right, when you experience trauma or something spiritual um things like if I'm having money problems I don't care it's not a big deal I know it'll work out um if I am not happy with my job really doesn't matter I know I will be happy with it soon like all of these physical things on earth that I'm going through um seem really not important the things that do feel important are my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with people that I admire and people that I run into, um, seeing someone who's in pain and trying to help them. Like that has the, the there's freedom in that, right? And I think, I don't know if I'd call it inspiration, but I'd call it just feeling free from being changed to those things that at, at least to me are not important anymore or they're important because you need to live and eat but they they don't cause me stress anymore after watching this podcast people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions are you up for that sure mm-hmm. what's the best way to reach you uh, um how should I maybe email <laughs> Um, is I'm not sure. Email some people do Facebook, or if you have anything else that's social, you know, social media wise. Facebook is all private, but I guess they could send the message. So, um, my Facebook is Julie Gaynor Northway. Um, so that might be if you if you click the message button, I could respond to that. Mm -hmm. Julie, before we finish up. Can you leave us with one last positive message? I guess uh, just make sure to nurture your relationships, um, no matter how minor you think that relationship is or how irrelevant that person in your life is. It is important. And ultimately, when you look back on your life, it's those connections and those relationships that are going to matter, not whether you've got the promotion, not whether you took a cruise, which is fun, but ultimately, um, ultimately it's those connections in life that matter. Julie, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. 
I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.